Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 213 for November 12th, 2021. On today's show, Sarah Walter talks about whitewater kayaking. If you'd like to support this show, go to patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my Vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Again, that's patreon.com slash vanarchism. I'm starting a new thing with this episode. I'm going to thank a Patreon supporter by name on each show. This week, my thanks go out to DJ. As I record this intro, I am quite fuzzy and lethargic and sore and groggy, all of that because of my COVID booster shot, which I got a couple days ago. I got really sick the night of the shot, which is pretty much what I expected because I got quite sick for the second shot back in March as well. And have been sick then, you know, since uh, since then. So for the last uh, day and a half or so, I'll come out the other side of it probably by tomorrow or the next day. But I'm going to keep this intro short because I don't trust myself to string sentences together. So let's dive into my conversation with Sarah. Sarah Walter, welcome to A Brief Chat. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. I'm actually happy to be here because we're recording this interview in your house. And I slept out in front of it last night in my van as part of my travels across the country. Uh, here in Maryland, it's gorgeous outside. Fall in a in the forest, it's it's really really beautiful. And uh, speaking of outside, you're here today to talk about a thing that a couple years ago we probably wouldn't have been talking about, but now it is a major part of your life, which is kayaking. That's true. Yeah. So um, I heard a little bit of this origin story last night, so I have a little advantage over the listeners. But can you give me kind of a, a summary view of how you went from I'm not a kayaker to now I kayak every single chance I possibly get. Yeah. So three years ago, a little over. Well, no. So, oh, my gosh. I'm already, You're already over the place. The I'm already messing up. <laughs> um, so about f- four years ago, uh, I moved. My husband and I moved to um, a place called Belfont, Pennsylvania, and we were really near a... A city of two million people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a small <laughs> suburb um, that happens to be near uh, a casual stream called Spring Creek. Um, and we had casually done uh, canoeing, okay, like flat water canoeing on lakes and stuff when we were younger. Um, but our neighbor actually got us into recreational kayaking, which is a very relaxed form of kayaking usually um we got pretty into that and did that with him for the whole summer and then we had a close call on the river and that led us to that led me to talk speak with uh one of my coworkers who i knew whitewater kayaked and i thought might be able to help me avoid that situation in the future and this was a close call involving someone else right who yes yeah, someone well you guys had to with try to extract the boat and the yeah in the in the course of extracting the boat from a tree it's a very dangerous thing um actually tyler and i both almost got sucked into the tree and this is a common way that people die on the river uh and so at the time i had no idea how dangerous the situation was i just knew whoa that was kind of a close call don't want to have that happen in the future and in speaking with my coworker, um i shared with him that we wanted to buy kayaks and that I really liked going through the rapids and he said, well, why don't you try whitewater kayaking? I have two extra boats. I'd love to take you. And, um, so the kayaking you had been doing and you kind of described this to me last night as like, these are the kayaks that you could buy at a Dick's Sporting Goods or what the kayaks. Exactly. When many people think of just, I'm going to 
take a lovely paddle down the river. That's what you have. Yes, very casual. Um, we would only wear a life vest. Sometimes right. we would drink beer most of the time. Like <laughs> not a life or death situation. No, no, right? no, yeah. no. Um, not for us. No, and not a lot of adventure or adrenaline involved. Just sure. like your biggest concern is sunburn. <laughs> so um, yeah, but we we tried whitewater kayaking and it was scary. But I was kind of into it. I thought it would be a fun way to, to explore and be a little more adventurous than, sure. than wreck kayaking. Yeah. Um, but so, also a kind of a higher learning curve, I imagine. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So we decided to buy used kayaks, um, all used equipment, and then just started. And that was in the fall, actually. So we that first winter, we did a lot of indoor kayaking. There's... Um, Whitewater groups will rent out like YMCA public pools and do roll sessions, which is where you learn how to um, write yourself if you flip over. So we learned that right away. uh, And that really helped that next spring when it warmed up again and we could finally get outside for us to progress relatively quickly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember from uh, back around this time, because we've done each other for a while, of lots of photos of you and, and Ty, you mentioned Tyler, by the way, who to whom you're married. Um, you and Tyler in a pool, in kayaks, like in full gear, learning how to come back up again. And that seems to me, I have to say, the so I've done a lot of recreational kayaking, but I've never done whitewater kayaking. And the, to me, hands down, the most terrifying part of whitewater kayaking is the fact that you could end up under the boat, still in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. So upside down. <laughs> yes. And it's scary even in a pool. I mean, just that. Oh, I imagine. The awareness, the body awareness, like figuring out where you are in space, just being okay with being in the dark and holding your breath and knowing that you can hold your breath. Like a lot of the time I would just flip over and sit there and count to 10, you know, and then and then I would pull my skirt and come out of the boat, like just to get used to spending time that way. Uh, and uh, pull your skirt and come out of the boat. Yeah. Pull a fi- the, so you sit inside a kayak, which has a hole on the top, and there's a, a a piece of, I don't know, is it fabric or plastic or something that's over the top to help keep you in? Neoprene, yes. Okay. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of jargon. Yes. Apologies. Yeah. You're not taking your pants off and then coming out of the boat. No, exactly. Like, yeah. Right. All whitewater kayakers wear skirts. Um, that's right. Yes. It's a Scottish sport. Yes. <laughs> so it's like a neoprene tube that... Um, comes up around your waist and then it secures around the cockpit of the boat, which okay. is the part that you sit in. And is yeah. it to keep water out, to keep you in both? A little bit of both. Mostly to keep water out, though. Okay. Because as soon as water gets in there, if that seal is broken, you're going to come out of your boat because the, the force of the water filling the boat usually will kind of push you out. Okay. There's, yeah. Gotcha. So that's the that's the emergency, you know, pull this handle to eject if you're under the boat. But yes. what you're actually trying to do is some other magic that allows you to come back up onto the That's right. Again, yeah. Right? Typically, um, it's called a wet exit. Okay. And that's the first thing you learn in whitewater. Like, if someone puts you in a whitewater kayak, they need to teach you how to get out of it first because okay. you can, if you don't know flip over and people panic and and don't know how to get out um so but generally that's you want it to be the last resort because you're usually safer in your boat than out of your boat okay so uh i want to talk about this this progression and i mean it seems like you guys went from um oh this is kind of fun to 
this is a major component of our lives now. I mean, to the point where, and we can get to this, but to the point where earlier this year, you know, you traveled across the country to go kayak for days at a time, you know, with a big group of people. Yeah. So can you talk about some of the the elements of it for you, the either the, the emotional or physical elements of it that just drew you in? Like what made you want to keep going after it? Yeah. So before whitewater kayaking, I was a power lifter, as you know, yeah. but everyone else doesn't know. Um, and I really liked, like that felt very meditative to me. It felt like a, um, almost a therapeutic outlet, which a lot of people sure. say. Um, and I liked that a lot. And then um, kayaking sort of provided a way to access that same feeling of flow, which I now understand it as flow state. Um, but in an outdoor setting and in an outdoor social setting. So I really liked like when we started rec boating, I enjoyed how social it was. I enjoyed that I, because of the wet nature of it, didn't have my phone with me. Sure. You know, we were just taking a few hours, usually half a day and, you know, floating down the river and, yeah. and, and whitewater kayaking is even more, um, it demands even more attention in the moment because you just, you have to focus, right. you have to focus. If you're not focusing, um, things can go wrong pretty quickly, but it's, and sometimes it can be exhausting <laughs> in that way. But yeah, it's like that, uh, it's, and play really. I feel like it, it allows access to flow state and to play and to just um, being in the moment yeah. and in nature with friends. So I think I said bias nature, it's a social sport. You should not do it alone, so. Uh, there's kind of an instant group of people that are usually pretty good people. <laughs> you shouldn't do it alone just because if something happens to you, it's nice to have somebody around. Yeah, the quote is, um, one is a tragedy, two is a witness, three is a rescue. So you want, wow. yeah. That's a dark quote. It's very dark, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> oh my God. But also like four is a fun group of people to paddle sure, with. So. <laughs> sure. yeah, but you've got to count pretty high to get past the dark part. Of yeah, 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 That's you hilarious. do. Yeah, but it's true. It's And there are people people who paddle alone there are situations where it's safe to do so but um generally it's a pretty social sport so i want to go back to flow state will you tell me about yeah. that concept? yeah it's something i just recently sort of i mean i i had learned about flow state but i thought it was this elite state you know only accessible to people at the height of their sure. abilities you know like olympic athletes or yeah. um people performing in the opera or so you know something like that <laughs> um but I actually worked with a sports psychologist recently uh, to help overcome some of my fears around whitewater kayaking. And she uh, was talking to me about flow state and how it's really this sort of loss of self-consciousness. Uh, and there's, I think, 10 things that sort of define what flow state is. Okay. Um, but in my mind, it's this loss of self-consciousness and, and complete presence in the moment. Uh, so when I say flow state, that's what I Yeah. And... Is that a thing that you're able to achieve each time you go out, only for part of the time, for moments at a time? What's it? How does it um, manifest itself? I think it really is all the time it, when I'm in a rapid, uh, when I really focus on what I'm trying to do, and especially when I execute it, it's like, whew, yeah, I felt that yeah. commitment. Uh, but especially when I do something called surfing, which is when you take your kayak and you get into like a wave 
and you point it upstream and you're just stationary on that wave um surfing it yeah yeah which i don't do well or often <laughs> but in the like rare occasions when i get in there and it's like 10 or 20 seconds at a time it's they're not like long um there's other people who are way better at it than me uh you just are reacting or i am reacting to those the little changes in flow and and seeing the water coming at you coming at me uh is just I feel very free in that moment. Yeah. That's what the experience is. So last night we watched some kayaking videos and there was very little, I, we were watching competitions. So th that explains this next thing I'm going to say, but there was very little downtime in any of those videos. So the, you know, from the moment the folks were in the water, they were like, okay, I have to do all of the things now. And it only ended when it was over. Not like when they, gently paddled down the river to the next set of things when you're out kayaking for a day are you are you like in moments of kind of extreme focus and then a bit where we're heading down the river to the next thing and then another moment of extreme focus yes okay yeah so most of the rivers i paddle are called pool drop rivers so there's a drop and a rapid um, a place where there's like for some reason some kind of um change in elevation okay. and then there's a pool at the end of it so um, and those pools can be different lengths, like sometimes they're relatively short and sometimes they're long and we float for a while and, and kind of yeah. take a break. <laughs> yeah, because it just seems like you, it would be impossible to keep up that level, of even just physical tension for hours. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, there's there's one river that I paddle that uh, I live relatively close to called the Savage um, in Maryland. And of course, it's called uh, the Savage. Yeah, the yeah. Savage River. <laughs> yeah. um, it's savage like it really is. So and it's. It's not that long of a run. I think it's only about three miles, I want to say, which is relatively short. Okay. Um, but it's very continuous. There are no pools at all. And that run is so exhausting for that reason, because you're just on for an hour or however long it takes to, yeah. to do it. Um, but you can lap it. <laughs> so it's really fun. I mean, it's just fun, 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 fun. But by one lap or two, I'm pretty... I'm toasted. <laughs> yeah. right, so you mentioned working with a sports psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, so were you coming up against some things that you felt were kind of stopping you from progressing forward? as a I was. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about the fear of being upside down and, uh, you know, that really being upside down isn't the thing that's scary for me anymore. It's what's lurking under the water. What can happen if you come out of your boat, which I don't do that often. So that's how I know that some of my fears are a little bit irrational <laughs> or based in like just perception of what could happen. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I was really struggling with not um, progressing or not progressing as fast as I could because I was avoiding challenging myself and doing things that I felt would put myself at risk, even though the risk really wasn't, isn't there. Yeah. Um, I mentioned surfing. That's something I have avoided doing a lot because it's an opportunity f that I can flip, you know, and if I flip, I could swim and that's embarrassing. Like really, that's what a lot of it came down to was this fear of being embarrassed or, or failing. Uh, and Meg Waldron is her name, helped me sort of conceptualize that and come up with sort of tools and ways to, um, I don't know, to, to work through it or to work with it uh, in a way that, that that fear wasn't dictating what I do on the river. And sometimes it still does. Like, it is a process. <laughs> I just start. I worked with her last spring. So it's, 
um, I'm, I'm still struggling with it yeah. to be honest, but I have ways of understanding it better now. Now, I think anyone who's listening to this interview will immediately notice that a thing that sets you apart from many people who take up a hobby is that uh, I don't do any hobbies that I do to the level where I might need to seek professional help to continue <laughs> doing the hobby. <laughs> I do things like like read books and uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and I've never had to consult anyone because I was afraid of what was happening in the book. And so there must be inside you, I'm guessing a real kind of competitive drive, whether that's against others or against yourself, that is, I mean, that is motivating you. I mean, I knew, I saw enough of you as a, as a lifter and I've seen enough over the years of now the kayaking that it seems like if no, if, if nothing else, you are setting a very high bar for yourself that you're constantly trying to surpass. That's probably true. And then, uh, Tyler, my husband is a very skilled kayaker. He excelled very quickly. I watched him, not being afraid of the same things I'm afraid of, and he excelled because of it. So I, I could see kind of like the paddler I could have been all along <laughs> in sure. him, which is like, it's, I know comparison to others is not useful, but, but I know the things I need to do to get better. Yeah. Um, but I think that you're right, and, and that is something that when I lifted also held me back. I've always joked that I'm a terrible sandbagger, and... I, I perceive the weights to be heavier than they are. Or I, I always approach the weight wondering if I can lift it, even when like the day before I did the same thing or the week before I it just, it's like clean slate every time, uh, which was not helpful. Like I could have been more competitive. Um, and I was always frustrated by that. And then in kayaking, I kind of finally felt like this is really holding me back from enjoying myself, from doing, uh, things I want to do. Um, and we moved again <laughs> to be closer to whitewater paddling a year ago. And I wanted to be able to take advantage of that and not be held back by my fear all the time. Yeah. And when I worked with Meg, actually, uh, she said that, I, so I'm in my, I'm almost in my mid thirties. Uh, and she said that at this point in my life, sort of my brain development is sort of setting its ways. Right. And that, now was a particularly good time to start challenging those patterns uh, so that I can sort of carry those tools with me through the rest of my life and yeah. not, not be this fearful, you know, timid person, which I, you know, I, I think at one point you said it's amazing that you've progressed as far as, as I had experiencing the things I was experiencing, which were pretty intense physical like manifestations of yeah. fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, uh, obviously, it speaks to your character that you work are working so hard to you know to overcome them, and yeah, the the thing about like trying to rewire your brain at this point in your life because it is uh, I completely agree with Meg that that's both useful but also quite a challenge. I mean, for example, that's why I, I have sat on a cushion to meditate many of the days of the last twenty years is for exactly that purpose. Um, but it's a challenge. I mean, it's not you know once you've once you've reached a certain point in your life reacting to certain stimuli in a particular way, getting yourself to not do that anymore, it's, it's not easy. I mean, like, in, the, in this casual conversation, we can make it sound like, oh, and then I went and saw someone and now I'm, you know. But it's not, I mean, it is like a constant, it's a constant process. It is, yeah. And it really came down to um, the way that I think about failure and success 
And, you know, I I said that I didn't want to swim because it's embarrassing. Like I perceive that as failure. And so I started thinking about my whole life and like avoidance of failure and and maybe not taking risks where I could have, you know, and I just wondered like, when have I really taken a real risk? Like where I could have lost something or been hurt or, you know, not often, you know, and I was talking to my mom about that and she was like, I don't think that's true. You know, you didn't. I said, well, no, I'm like, I come from a a pretty privileged background. Like I just, I've not really ever put myself on the line like that before. And I think a lot of that is because of this risk avoidance that's sort of like beat into us. Right. Don't, don't, don't fail. Don't, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, there was a, a book that you uh, talked to me a lot about, too, that sounded like it was a big part of at least some of this understanding mm-hmm. um, that was not specifically about kayaking, but that talked about these concepts, right? Yeah, yeah. The Rock Warrior's Way by Arno uh, Ilner, okay. I believe is how you pronounce his last name, um, which I had heard recommended for a couple of years before, but I just never took the time to read it. And then working with Meg, I thought, you know, this sounds a lot like what Arno has talked about because I've listened to his interviews and stuff and podcasts. Uh, So I decided to read the book and I ended up reading it six or seven times. (laughs) So that's a pretty good recommendation. Yeah, it's a short, (laughs) pretty relatively easy read, but I just, I find myself continually going back to certain chapters as I sort of struggle with different things. Uh, I feel like the book really put a lot of what what Meg talked about in a, in a structure, okay. you know, that's accessible to me now that I'm done working with her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he wrote it about climbing, but that climbing is just the, the vehicle for him to talk about these concepts more. Than yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And there's, I mean, it's wonderful. There's a lot of, um, warrior type language in there that I feel like I had to get past a little bit because I I kind of roll my eyes sometimes (laughs) like I'm not fighting for anything I'm not like I don't know um this isn't some existential battle but I mean maybe it is I don't know but uh yeah it's having to substitute in you know when he would give a climbing example I'd have to substitute in something relevant to me which I found pretty easy to do Yeah. yeah so you mentioned the social aspect of the kayaking that you do and I'm interested in how that comes up against the possibly competitive aspect of the various people doing it I mean is it social like hey we're all doing this fun thing together or is it social like I'm going to do this particular thing better than the rest of you or what's what your experience lucky for me I haven't been around a lot of paddlers like that I think they do exist Um, there is some macho culture (laughs) that you'll see Uh, you know people I don't know. I guess they're called shit runners. Like, you know, who just kind of like do, you know, they're out there and they're, um, they're doing whatever the hardest thing is. And the, the documentary actually on Netflix, the river runner did a great job of showing that side of the culture. (laughs) Um, but luckily we fell in with a a group of really friendly, uh, helpful, you know, caring people who are not, not super competitive. I mean, they, you know, people want to push each other to do better and there's always plenty of advice, you know, being thrown around on the river. Uh, But even just yesterday, I had like a group of three people, you know, helping me get into a wave that I hadn't really got in before to surf and giving me advice each time and in a very, a way that was very helpful to me very kind and encouraging you know it wasn't like oh you really messed that one up or you know you're there was no frustration it's just 
people helping each other. So that's more often what I encounter. Yeah, I always found, um, certainly during my my musical career, that I wanted to play with people who were somewhat, not unattainably, but somewhat better than I was, because it pushed me to get on their level. And also because it's more inspiring, I find, to be surrounded by people who are doing the thing you do, but doing it a little bit better. Um, I'm curious if that translates at all to the kayak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a half dozen, maybe a dozen people that I really look up to as paddlers and that I, every time I get the chance to paddle with them, I'm kind of like, staying close, (laughs) seeing what they're doing, asking them, why didn't I get that move or, you know, and, and I always learn like there's little, just like in lifting or many physical pursuits in life, there's little cues. And sometimes they'll say it in just the right way that it clicks for me. And then I, I am able to sort of level up. Yeah. Watching those, um, watching the videos last night with you and Tyler, obviously I was probably seeing 10% of what you were seeing. But one thing that really jumped out at me was the number of small movements and corrections that were kind of constantly required to like reposition your body in the boat, reposition the boat, reposition your, you know, kind of your angle to the, to the water or the obstacle. And the, the number of decisions a person has to make in an incredibly shortened time span seems pretty intense, at least when I was watching it. And again, I'm sure I was missing 90% of what was happening, mm-hmm. but at least that was my impression. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, and I've heard, I don't know that I agree with this, but I've heard people claim that whitewater kayaking and like slalom whitewater, which is what we were watching, uh, is one of the most difficult sports that there is because the surface under you is dynamic, right? The water's always changing and moving. It's, you know, you can tell someone a line or where they should go, but it's up to them to react the way they need to in that moment. And features will surge, you know, as the water comes down, it's always different depending on the water level and the weather, uh, rocks move all the time. So things change, you know? Uh, so yes, there are, many, many little corrections. And it's just about making those decisions in the moment. It's also at least a lot of the things that we the things that were on natural rivers that we watched last night, I was kind of I could have mistaken this when I was watching it, but I was kind of amazed to see how not deep and I guess we have a word for that, which is shallow. The, <laughs> the water is. And so then when we would see people like, you know, going upside down, I would think, well, the is there like a huge rock, like an inch from this person's head? Or I mean, it's just, it's not like, like the kayaking I've done, you could stand the boat on end and push it down into the water and it wouldn't hit the mm-hmm. hit the bottom. As opposed to this, where it looks some of the time like people's heads must be scraping the, the bottom as they're going under, that kind of thing. They do, yeah. That's a, that's a hazard for sure. More characteristic, characteristic I think, of East Coast uh, okay. paddling than West Coast. Um and some East Coast paddling is deep and big. We call that big water, okay. uh, which is fun. Like, that's my favorite kind of paddling. I think probably because a lot of those risks aren't really there. Sure. Um, the water's a lot pushier. The the features are bigger, but it's just more fun <laughs> in my mind to me. Uh, but yes, absolutely. In those shallow waters, you have to be a little more careful. And there's like features that we call ninja rocks that are rocks that you don't really see coming and they just yeah they get you (laughs) you have to know how to react yeah oh my gosh yeah i could 
I can kind of feel like in my chest a little bit some of the physical, like just just kind of imagining myself in that situation and thinking like, yeah, I would have to do a lot of work in order to overcome thinking about that while I was underwater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it is weird to think that in like four years ago, I didn't understand or know about this world even, yeah, and now. It's normal to me to say, yeah, you can flip upside down and hit your head on a rock. I mean, it's just, there's a river we paddle all the time that has a rock that's notorious for hitting people. Um, It's everyone who flips on this rapid hits this rock. And it it has resulted in like broken noses, like blood coming out of people's ears. I've heard all kinds of stories. I've seen people's foreheads split open and we wear helmets and stuff. So, um, but it just like, that's a hazard. It's a really well-known hazard on that river. So. But then there's many that are not as well known, yeah. <laughs> and you can always encounter one. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I consider myself as someone who takes a lot of risks. I mean, even just by the way I live and how close to the edge that is. But there's generally very few times in the course of a day when there's a chance that I might walk straight into a rock. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad for you. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I have arranged my life in such a way that that's not a problem. <laughs> so um, we're kind of getting to the end here, and I. Do you find that after having done all of this work to make yourself a better kayaker, that the work that you have done carries over into other parts of your life? I think it does. Yeah, I can. Because so much of that fear was rooted in this fear of failure and success uh, and other sort of bigger sort of societal. uh, I don't know what to call it. like kind of pressures or yeah, pressures exactly expectations uh that yeah i can see how those impact other decisions i've made in my life and when i come across them i can kind of conceptualize how to no i don't like using the word overcome but how to sort of meet that challenge in a productive way for me you know um and recognize that and part of that was recognizing what things i don't have control over right which is a, a big part of facing life <laughs> in general yeah. and having a relationship with fear that is not debilitating is incredibly important i mean just given the number of decisions that i think we all make in our lives that we make based on our fear of making the other decision or our yeah. fear of an outcome yeah uh, so kind of have trying to work out a healthier relationship with what happens when when fear rises up is there a way I can navigate myself through this particular yes, obstacle? Yeah. Yes, and starting to recode fear as excitement wherever possible. Um, I've tried to do that. And, it, it, you know, it does help to think. Because whenever I start to get those feelings like that tightness in my chest or usually my stomach will get upset, I start kind of getting a little jittery. I immediately interpret that as fear. And I've started trying to think of that as I'm excited about this challenge. Like, what can I, what can I bring? That's one of the big questions that Arno asks in the book. What can I give to this performance? He calls it, but what can I give to this challenge? Um, is a, a way more exciting question than, than what will achieving this give to me? You know? Sure. Uh, I really like that. Yeah. I like that one too. And I think that's a beautiful place to draw it to a close. But just before we go, I will mention for folks that, uh, you, in addition to 
kayaking and to all the other things you do in your life, you also actually designed the logo of the very show that you're currently on. I did. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. I love it. And uh, so f- for listeners, every time you've seen an episode of this and the logo that accompanies it, that's also Sarah's work. My guest has been Sarah Walter. Thanks so much for being here. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. This. I was glad to, to be on. I'm glad. So good to see you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of A Brief Chat. You can support the show at patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my Vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>